we come together in August Overflow, and um, as a body, we get to display the beauty of Jesus, right, in service to our community. We have friends here from August Overflow yesterday, and I mean, that's just so special. Just Yeah, yeah, we, new friends. I made, I told these guys, I must have made 30 new friends. 29 of them were under the age of seven, but that still counts. It still, it still counts. So I made a lot of new friends yesterday, and, uh, and we had a lot of fun. I, I, just, I just can't tell you how fun it is to come together with this body and just to serve people. To see so many people show up just to give up their Saturday, to, to stand over a, over a grill when it's 85 degrees outside and cook burgers and serve people food and and, and he, the teenagers all hand out produce. Some of them, un, un, they weren't happy about that. But that's just the way things work. We said, hey, we're going to grind. That's what we do. We stand outside and we hand out produce. But we had a, a, what, what, such a great time. And uh, I just think, man, how, how awesome is it for us to just be able to display this message, the beauty of Jesus in, in, um, in the body of Christ as we come together and do stuff like this. This is, what we were, this is what we were made for. This is what the Lord put us here for, was to serve the community um, and, to, and to display Jesus, not to just talk about him, but to actually show people the beauty of who Jesus is and the way that we love each other and the way that we walk together, the way that we serve people, the way that we get our hands dirty when we have to get our hands dirty. Uh, man, that's just beautiful. Like I said, the Lord preached this message before I have to say a word, and that's, that's just, man, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's, one thing that was really special to me, see, see um, Paula there working yesterday. You know, Paula had a, let's say she had a rough week, and, uh, and uh, what a heart for the Lord just to show up and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up in the, middle of my, in the middle of my hard week. I'm going to show up. I'm going to serve people. Uh, and, and you know what, they, no, probably nobody that would have come through the food line had ever known the week that she had her smiling and serving their food. That's just, that's a blessing. That's, that's what it looks like to reflect Jesus right there. That's what it looks like. Let's, uh, let's pray before we get into the, into the depths of this one here. Lord, we love you, and we just thank you, Jesus. We thank you for yesterday. We're thankful to have friends here from yesterday, Lord. We, we're thankful that uh, as we serve the community, we get to show them your love and show them the way that you have mercy on us and grace for us, Lord. We get to just we get to put you on display as a body, Lord, and we're so thankful for that. We uh, we we just lift your name high today. We. We, we give you all the honor and the glory for everything that you've done and everything that you'll do, Lord. We just, we love you. We bless your name in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have uh, our prayer meeting tonight. Kat asked uh, if we were going to have it. She's like, you know, we've had a busy week. Some, of the, some people spent, you know, eight hours here yesterday as we were doing August Overflow. And I just thought, you know what? I know we've been here a lot and we haven't had much time at home, but, you know, Tonight's opportunity for us to come and water the seeds that were planted yesterday. And so we're going to come and we're going we're to come for this prayer meeting tonight. If anybody, anybody's welcome to come, there's no agenda for these things. We don't, we don't have a plan put together. We come and we pray together, and that's it. And so uh, if, you, if you feel uh, that you can be here and you'd like to be here, we'd love to have you here. We're just going to come and pray together as a church body and pray. Specifically, we have some stuff to pray for, you know? We have some stuff to pray for tonight. We have some seeds to water, so we're going to do that tonight at 6 o'clock if you're, 
if you're here. I'm going to start off today with just a little bit of a story for you. You're going to like this one, I think. When I was in my uh, early 20s, back in the Stone Age, I was, I'm 34 now, so it's like when I was 20 years old, my, uh, my, we were going to college. We were, we were going to college. and We weren't going to class, but we were going to college. Um, me and my brother and some of our friends, we were going to, to school, and we would all hang out at the sixth floor of the library there, and then time would come for us to go to class, and we'd say, you know what? Let's just stay, keep hanging out here. Let's keep paying $8,000 a year to just hang out here in the library and not go to class. So we were all, we, we had a great group of friends that would all hang out up there. And then one day we had this idea, we're like, let's just all get an apartment together. And then that turned into my brother saying, guys, I'm just going to buy a house and you could all move in and live with me. And so we did that. We did that. My brother bought a house in Columbia and he still lives there. And me and like uh, four other friends moved into this house in Columbiana. So there were six of us guys living in this house of, in Columbiana. And it was a thrill, let me tell you. It was a thrill. Uh, we, weren't, we weren't doing anything extremely bad. We weren't like, you know, it was, it was a party house, but it wasn't like the drinking and doing drugs party house. It was like there's 25 people there at any time. We had piranha tanks and, and game rooms set up in every single room, and it was called the fort. And what we did for fun, here's what we did for fun. When it was like 2 in the morning, we, after we got back from our Polar Pop run at Circle K, we would make dance videos and post them on YouTube. And we were like 20-year-old men. Kind of weird, but you know what? They're still, I'll tell you this, they're still up on YouTube, and you're never going to find them. So... So there, and I'm not even ashamed if you do, because I have really good dance moves. There may be some others that should be, but I'm a good dancer, so, you know, I'm not even ashamed, but I'm just telling you, so I know the teenagers are going to be hunting tonight. They're going to spend all night on YouTube trying to find these dance videos, and you're never going to find them. And there's these dance videos of us dancing. That's what we did. And then um, we had, we'd spent a couple years living together, and none of us had any, a girlfriend or anything like that. We were having too much fun for that stuff. We, we were all just single guys living in this, in this house, having a blast. And, uh, and then when I was 22 years old, as, uh, like I said, not really interested. I was living a single guy's dream, right? I was 22 years old, and my sister had rented a, um, an apartment. It was above this funeral home in North Lima with some of the girls that she worked with. One of them is my wife, Emma. She had rented this apartment, and I was over there. I was 22 years old, and I was in the kitchen of this room. And I had been around Emma, but I didn't really know Emma. I mean, uh, we were, a, we were, I probably called her my friend, but she wouldn't have probably called me her friend. I know everybody's my friend, but she, she's not like me. So um, we didn't know each other very well, I'll say that. We had been around each other a little bit. We didn't know each other very well. And I was standing in the kitchen next to the little island there, and she had gotten ready to go out, go out something. She probably went on a date. I don't know. I, I was uh, not paying attention to that, but she's all dressed up and ready to go, and she walked out around this little island, and I said, whoa. <laughs> and I actually said that out loud. That's the weird thing. I didn't mean to. The scripture says, out of the, out of the heart, your mouth speaks, and I didn't mean to say that out loud. I probably played it off like, wow, this, these chips are really good. <laughs> that, um, but I seen her walk around this island, and I said, whoa. Because she was beautiful. 
I, and I'd seen her before. It wasn't like I hadn't seen her and noticed that she was beautiful. But it was like in this moment, the Lord pulled back the veil from my eyes. And I was like, "Woo, she's beautiful. That's a beautiful girl right there. And from that point on, it was like she wasn't much interested in me in the very beginning. I'll say that. She wasn't much interested in me. But from that moment on, I don't think I was much interested in any other girl in the world. I was, like, captivated. I mean, totally captivated. What's amazing is in just, like, seemingly a moment, I went from living literally the single guy dream, not interested in a girlfriend at all, to not being interested in being single anymore. <laughs> all I wanted was to be close to or be near her. I, I, from that moment forward, I think I was, um, I was probably clever and a little bit, calculated in everything that I did. I would go over there at certain times when I knew that she would be there, even though I knew she wasn't really interested in me. I would sit on the couch in a certain spot that hopefully she would sit next to me. You know, I would do all of these things, hoping that just I would be able to be near her. In the midst, I went from like, I went from one moment being like, this is the coolest life ever. Like everybody should want to live as a single dude in this house with these other guys to all of a sudden being like, I just want to be with her. And it's amazing what supreme beauty will do to everything else that you thought was beautiful. Right? It's amazing what supreme beauty, when you see something that is supremely beautiful, what it will do to everything else that you thought was beautiful. And this really is, is in a sense, this is the gospel. Because it's not come and do this and do that so that someday so that you can look like a Christian and someday that you can go to heaven. It's come and behold the beauty of Jesus. Come and see him with new eyes. Come and see his beauty. This is what the gospel is. And the thing is about Jesus and the beauty of Jesus is that when you behold that supreme beauty, everything else is going to change. Everything else is going to change. There's a few places in Scripture where God is uh, described as light. First John says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And the thing about light is that light reveals truth. And to come close to God is to come close to the light. And it's not only to see God more clearly, but it's to see everything else clearly. Because the light doesn't just shine and let us see the light, the essence, the source of the light. It doesn't just let us see the beauty of the light, but it lets us see everything else through the light. I have this tattoo on my arm that's a quote from C.S. Lewis, and it says, I believe in God like I believe in the sunrise, not only because I see it, but through it I see everything else. And that is the truth of coming close to the source that is the light, the light of the world, which is Jesus, is that we don't just see him more clearly, but actually we see everything clearly. Have you guys ever been to like a really like fancy restaurant? I've not, but I've seen Pastor Mark post about him on his Facebook page. So I've, if it's not McDonald's, I haven't been there yet. But uh, if you've ever been to like a fancy restaurant and you go into a fancy restaurant and, and the lights are really dim and you're like, man, this is like, this is really beautiful in here. Like it's really clean and well kept. But except you can't barely see your hand in front of your face and you're like, turn on your flashlight to take a bite of food. 
And then you know that what happens, even though everything looks really, really beautiful as the lights are dim, you know that when, they, that when everybody leaves, they turn the actual lights on, and it reveals that the carpet is probably stained, and the walls are dirty, and the paint lines aren't exactly straight, right? And this is what it is to come close to Jesus, who is the light of the world. It's that things that we think are beautiful um, are, are, are the, the reality of them are revealed to us, right? And they're not maybe so beautiful anymore. And the things that are truly beautiful are illuminated by the light. Word? Paul experienced what it was like to come close to the light in Philippians chapter 3. He says this in, in, in chapter 3, verses uh, 7 through 9. But everything that was gained to me I have considered to be lost because of Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. See, Paul in that time, he was a powerful Pharisee. And to be a Pharisee, a Pharisee was like a religious um, religious ruler in that time. But to be a Pharisee or a religious ruler in that time was more than just being like a pastor or something. It was much, much different than that because the Pharisees were, were charged with knowing the law and they were also charged with upholding the law. And that's why Paul was able to um, persecute the church or the followers of Jesus because he actually had the authority to not just know the law but to, to, to enact the law. And he would persecute. He had what, what most men in their worldly eyes would think that everybody would want, right? He had authority and he had respect in that time and in that place, in that culture. And then he's on the road to Damascus one day and all of a sudden, bam, he beholds Jesus. The, this powerful figure, this powerful man, he's on, on the road to Damascus. He beholds Jesus. The scripture says that this light shines from heaven and this light is so bright that it literally physically blinds his eyes for three days. What's amazing about this is almost ironic is that the Lord shines his light. He reveals his glory to Paul. In this moment, Paul's eyes are closed. He physically cannot see, but his spiritual eyes are open. And for the first time, he can see. Well, he couldn't see with his eyes, but for the first time in his life, he could see. He could see the reality of what things were, what was valuable and what wasn't valuable. In a, in a, in a moment, things that seemed to have immense value to Paul had absolutely no value at all. And all he wanted was to be close to the one he beheld. In just a moment, even things like the, the comforts of life was almost of no value to Paul anymore in light of knowing Jesus. He says this a little bit further down in Philippians chapter 3. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. He wanted to know Jesus in every way. If it included suffering, he wanted to know Jesus. Whatever it took, he wanted to know Jesus. All of his ambitions, 
all of his desires, all that he knew as valuable and, his, and, and he had set as his goals in life were all washed away in the beauty of the presence of Jesus. The revelation of Jesus. The thing about the revelation of God is that it's both terrifying and wonderful. Because to come close to the light is to reveal to us the absolute unworthiness in ourselves. It reveals the stained carpet of our souls and the dirty walls of our souls. Those paint lines that are a little uneven in our souls are revealed in the light of Jesus. And at the same time, it reveals to us the absolute pure holiness, the perfection that is in him pure holiness of Jesus. And I think that this is the reason that so many in the world today actually deny that, deny that Jesus even ever existed. Even though in reality, there's more historical evidence, written evidence, that Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected than there is that almost anybody else in history existed in that time frame. There's more evidence of Jesus And if Jesus was held to the same scrutiny that any other person was held to, you would come to the conclusion that absolutely, with 100% certainty, Jesus Christ lived, died, and was resurrected. But I'll tell you this, it's much easier to deny that the light exists than to face the light and be confronted by what you see. It's much easier to deny that the light even exists than it is to face the light and be confronted by what you see. Because beholding the glory of God, beholding Jesus, is powerful. It's powerful. I have three things today that beholding Jesus does to us. In case you're taking notes here, I'm going to make it easy for you to follow. Three things that beholding Jesus does to us. Number one, beholding him makes us like him. Beholding him makes us like him. John 14, 12 says this, Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater. Hello, hello. Okay, I'm back in. Let me start over. Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Sometimes what we do is, sometimes we minimize what it means to be like Jesus because we actually think that it's impossible to actually be like Jesus. But this is Jesus talking here, and he's saying that when you believe in me, you'll do the things that I do and greater things than that because I'm going to the Father. And if Jesus said it, that means he's going to empower you to do it. If he says that you're supposed to be like him, then he's going to empower you to be like him. He's not going to request something of of you that he knows is impossible. So if he says it, you better believe that it's possible. When he says that you're going to do the things that I do and greater things than that by believing me because I'm going to the Father, then you should believe that you're going to do those things that Jesus did and greater things than that because he's going to the Father. Sometimes what we do is we think that God the Father is God Almighty, Jesus is God Almighty, and the Holy Spirit is some lesser version of God. 
Listen, the Holy Spirit is an equal part of the Trinity, and Jesus went back to the Father so that the, the, that the fullness of God in the Holy Spirit can live inside of you. And if God is in you, what can you not do? Where is our limit if God himself is in us? What, what can he possibly call us to do that we can't do if it's him who's inside of us, empowering us to do it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. If you've been around here any bit for the past couple years, you've probably heard me talk about fasting. We've talked about fasting. I've talked about fasting a lot over the past couple years. And we've seen many people in the body that have dove into fasting and have seen um, absolutely miraculous things happen. I could give example on example on example of things that the Lord has done. But what's more miraculous than anything is we've seen people dive in, into fasting and, and, and give themselves to times devoting themselves to times of fasting and putting themselves before the Lord and sitting before the Lord is that we've seen transformation in them, in us. You know, the most miraculous thing that I've ever experienced is the transformation that happened in me when I jumped into that. And it's not because fasting unleashes some um, superhuman power inside of us that allows us to do things that we couldn't do before. That's not what it does at all. What it does is when we give ourselves a fasting and we sit before the Lord and we turn our eyes and our focus back to Jesus, the Holy Spirit becomes empowered inside of us and God that lives inside of us, what the Holy Spirit does is he reveals Jesus to you and he reveals Jesus in you. And when we turn our hearts back to the Lord and we turn our focus back to Jesus, what the Holy Spirit does is he opens our eyes to see more of, of Jesus. Not just around us, but in us. And when Jesus is revealed in us, then we become like him from one degree of glory to the next. What that means is you become like him from one degree of knowing him to the next. From one degree of seeing him to the next. Here's what, you can't separate God from his glory. His glory is not something that's separate from him. He is glorious. Glory is not something that like comes off of him. It is who he is. Right? So we go from one degree of knowing him to another degree of knowing him. We go from one degree of seeing him to another degree of seeing him. And that happens when the Holy Spirit reveals more of who Jesus is inside of us. Number two, the second thing that beholding the glory of God, the beauty of Jesus does it to us. Beholding his beauty sustains us. The prophet Ezekiel, he lived during this time where Judah had been um, exiled in Babylon. And Ezekiel was living, essentially he was a prisoner in a foreign land. And then he has this encounter with the Lord. In he records it in Ezekiel chapter 1. This is what he says. On the throne high above was someone who looked like a human. From what seemed to be his waist up, I saw a gleam like an amber. And with what looked like fire enclosing around it. 
From what seemed to be his waist down, I saw what looked like fire. There was brilliant light all around him. The appearance of the brilliant light all around him was like that of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. This was the appearance of the likeness of the Lord's glory. When I saw it, I fell face down and I heard a voice speaking. So Ezekiel is, um, the Lord is about to give Ezekiel a, a very particular command And before he does that, what he does is he rips back the curtains of the unseen realm. And he lets Ezekiel see what Ezekiel couldn't previously see, which was the throne of God and the glory of God. And then he gives them this command in Ezekiel chapter 2. He says, he said to me, son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak with you. As he spoke to me, the spirit entered me and set me on my feet. And I listened to the one who was speaking to me. He said to me, son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to the rebellious pagans who have rebelled against me. The Israelites and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this day. The descendants are obstinate and hard-hearted. I'm sending you to them. And you must tell them, this is what the Lord God says. Whether they listen or refuse to listen, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been sent among them. So not only is Ezekiel um, living in a very, very uncomfortable situation, in a very, very unfamiliar place, in very um, unfortunate situations, a place that he would not rather not be, in the middle of him living in a place that he would rather not be, in an uncomfortable situation, in unfamiliar territory, the Lord says, I have something for you to do. I'm going to send you to this rebellious house of Israel. And guess what? This is the best part. They're not going to listen to you. You're going to go and you're going to say, the Lord says this, and they're not going to listen to you. And Ezekiel's probably thinking, well, that's kind of dumb, you know? I mean, why am I going to go and tell them if they're not going to listen? And he says, "Um, you're going to go and tell them so that they will know someday that there is a prophet among them. What's amazing is as the Lord sees Ezekiel living in this uncomfortable place, in this unfamiliar territory, in this place that he would rather not be, and he's about to give him a command that Ezekiel would probably rather not have. And he says that the response that you get from the message is not going to be able to sustain you. But here's what will sustain you. Pulls back the curtains and reveals the glory of God. He said he, he, before he ever gives them a command, he says, this is actually what's going to keep you going. It's not going to be because people are going to listen to your message and say, oh man, high five, that's great. I'm turning around, I'm going the other way now. It's not going to be because of that. What's going to sustain you is that you're going to remember the glory that you've seen in this moment. And it's going to carry you through every day. Every rejection, it's going to carry you through. Every slap in the face, it's going to carry you through. Every other hard day, it's going to carry you through. It's going to sustain you through these moments and through this season. The truth is the scripture says that in this life you will have trouble. You know what that means? That you're going to face situations and circumstances that you'd rather not be in. You're going to face unfamiliar and uncomfortable territory in your life where it seems like hopeless and dark all around you. You're going to face it. Some of you are facing it right now. You're going to face it. And there's only one thing that's going to sustain you through it, and it's not going to be some response to what what is happening around you. It's going to be the glory of heaven 
and the beauty of the presence of Jesus. That's what's going to be to sustain you. Bobby shared this a few weeks ago, but um, in, in Psalm 27, David is living in this cave in enemy territory, in the Philippine ter- or, or the Philistine, Philistine territory. He's living in this cave, and he's essentially hiding from Saul, who's the king of Israel. Now, David has already been anointed to be king, but he just hasn't been appointed yet. That time hasn't come. But he's living in enemy territory, hiding from Saul, who has his army out hunting, hunting for him, trying to kill, kill him. And this is what David says in Psalm 27. He says, though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. I have asked one thing of the Lord is the one I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on his beauty gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high above the enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Now, I mentioned Paula. You know what's amazing about Paula is Paula comes here and serves people. And you know what that is? To the Lord, that's a shout of joy. That is worship to the Lord. In the middle of, of, of the enemy around her, in the middle of everything, that is a shout of joy to the Lord, Paul. That's what that is. And the Lord is, gives us the opportunity. What's amazing about, about Jesus is that he doesn't look at us in the middle of these really, really dark, terrible circumstances when things are pressing around us and we feel hopeless. There's darkness all around us. He doesn't look at us and say, get over it. D- just deal with it. He looks at us. He recognizes that we are um, fragile in spirit. That's not a bad thing. Listen, the Lord looks at you and he recognizes that you're fragile in spirit. And he doesn't say, get over it, deal with it, toughen up. He says, let me show you what will sustain you. It's the blood of my son who went to the cross to die for you. It's that unstoppable, untamable love that he has for you. It's a grace and mercy that you've ne- never met before in your life. And I'm going to put the Holy Spirit inside of you. And the presence of God is going to live inside of you. And he's going to reveal Jesus to you. And that's going to sustain you through any hard season you ever go through in your life. It's the presence of Jesus. Number three, beholding him compels us to live in ways of righteousness. In 1 John, uh, John, before John repeatedly presses the reader to follow the commands of Jesus, he says this. Let me read this in the Passion Translation. I just like this. I like this version. He says this, We saw him with our own eyes. We gazed upon him and heard him speak. Our hands actually touched him, the one who was from the beginning, the living expression of God. This life giver was made visible and we have seen him. We testify to this truth, the eternal life giver lived face to face with the Father and has now dawned upon us. So we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard about this life giver so that we may share and enjoy this life together. For truly, our fellowship is, sorry, (laughs) our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus, the Anointed One. We are writing these things to you because we want to release to you the fullness 
of our joy. You know what compelled John to live in righteousness, to compel him to do the things that Jesus told him to do? It was the fact that he had seen the beauty of Jesus. And he starts off, before he ever gets into follow Jesus' command, before he ever starts laying down the law and giving this instruction, before any of that, you know what he says? See Jesus, I've seen him. He's saying, I've seen a supreme beauty that you couldn't even imagine. Follow him. I've seen something so beautiful that it'll make everything you thought was beautiful, unbeautiful. Follow him. There is blessing that you couldn't possibly imagine in following him. That's what John is saying. He's not saying, hey, come on, guys, get your act in order here. You're not doing very good. He's saying, I've seen beauty. I've seen the beauty of Jesus. Chase after him. Follow him. Sometimes I think that we think that we can just live a, a better Christian life on our own. Like, you know what, I'm going to start going to church more often, and I'm, gonna, uh, I'm just going to be, start becoming a better Christian. And we think, you know, I'm just going to do this in, in, my, in my own power. And here's the thing, no, you can't. No, you can't. We can only live righteously through the power of the Holy Spirit who reveals Jesus inside of us. That's the only way you'll ever change your life is by seeing more of Jesus. You won't become a better Christian. You won't get out of your sin cycle by just trying harder. You'll get out of your sin cycle. You'll become made new in the image of Jesus when you sit at the feet of Jesus. If you're stuck in your sin cycles, what you need to fix is not your sin. You need to fix your proximity to the presence of Jesus. Because when you come close to the light, you'll, the light will fix you. You face the light and the light will fix you. You don't try to fix yourself so that you can come close to the light. The light will handle it. A little further down in, in 1 John, it says this. And you know without a doubt that Jesus was revealed to eradicate sins and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in union with him will not sin. But the one who continues sinning hasn't seen him with discernment or known him by intimate experience. Because it's intimacy that compels us to live righteously. Sometimes what we think is we think that we live righteously in order to receive the reward of intimacy with Jesus. Oh no, it's exactly the opposite. It's exactly the opposite. We don't live righteously in order to receive the reward of intimacy. We get in intimacy with the Lord, and the Lord, by our intimacy, gives us the reward of having the ability to live righteously. He does it in us. He does the work in us. Listen, if you could live righteously on your own power, then somebody would have done it in history and Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die on a cross. But he had to come die on a cross because in our own power, nobody could do it. Nobody could do it. Nobody could live righteously. And he says, I'm going to invite you into intimacy. And when I invite you into intimacy, everything inside you is going to start to be made new. I'm going to start, uh, here's, here's what the Lord says. Rather than inviting you to, um, to newness and then in your newness inviting you into my presence, I'm going to invite you into my presence and my presence is going to make you new. Beholding him makes us like him. It sustains us and it compels us to live in the ways of righteousness. 
in Isaiah chapter 33, the prophet Isaiah, he's prophesying about what many believe is the end times prophecy. And Isaiah describes these, that the land is mourning. And there's other, other prophetic um, verses and other prophetic scriptures that talk about famines and natural disasters. And this is what he's meaning by this. The earth is mourning. The land is mourning. And he says that, that people are lacking moral values and they have, uh, they have devalued human life. And then he says this, in, in the, I'm going to read this in the Passion Translation as well. In Isaiah 33, verse 6, he says, He will be your constant source of stability in changing times. And out of his abundant love, he gives you the riches of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. Yes, the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Now, regardless of whether you believe that we're living in the last days, what we are living in is changing times. We're living in changing times. And the Lord's promise is that in the midst of these changing times, that he will be the source of your constant stability. He says in the midst of these changing times, there's a treasure that he has for you, and the key to the treasure is the fear of the Lord. And the treasure is salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The thing about the fear of the Lord is, is that we can't stir up the fear and the fear of the Lord in our own hearts. That can only be done by the Holy Spirit. We can't just be, we can't just take on the fear of the Lord. Only the Holy Spirit does that work. And in a couple of verses down, after after he says this, he he um, the Lord lays out the blueprint for exactly how he's going to stir up the fear of the Lord in people, in his church, that is going to unlock the treasures of salvation and wisdom and knowledge that is going to sustain them in that time. He tells you exactly how he's going to do it. And this is what he says in Isaiah chapter 33, verse 17. He says, your eyes will see the king and his beauty. And that's what will carry you through. And that's what will be your firm foundation. That's what will be the rock that you stand on when times are changing. You will see the Lord and his beauty. Sometimes we think of beauty as just uh, uh, what is pleasing to our physical senses, right? We, see, we think of beauty as like something that we see that looks beautiful. Maybe it smells beautiful, sounds beautiful. We think of beauty as something that pleases our physical senses and feeds us the little dopamine monster in our mind, right, in our brain. And we think that is what beauty is, is, is something that pleases our senses. But the scripture says that God is spirit, and that means that God's beauty transcends our physical senses, it's not just that he's beautiful to our physical senses. And sometimes when we limit who God is to our physical senses, we find ourselves, and you see this in churches all throughout, all throughout America, all throughout the world, that, um, that are constantly trying to uh, put on high-energy, beautiful-type performances because they don't know God intimately by the Holy Spirit, so they have to try to feed your senses, your physical senses, rather than feed the one who's actually pleasing to your spirit, who transcends your physical senses, is pleasing to your spirit, and that's Jesus, the presence of Jesus. Because, because he's the one that, that, that brings pleasure to your soul, that brings pleasure to your spirit. You can, you can search the whole world all your life, and you will never find anyone as beautiful as Jesus. 
you, listen, you can spend your whole life doing everything, accomplishing everything you've ever wanted to accomplish, obtaining everything you wanted to obtain, seeing the whole entire world in every beautiful place that ever exists. Nothing will ever bring your spirit pleasure like knowing Jesus. Nothing. Nothing can. You might be able to feed your physical senses beauty, but you will never be able to feed your spirit anything other than Jesus. And so you might say, well, how, how do I behold something that I can't see with my, with my eyes? How do I behold something that I can't um, sense with my physical senses? Well, I was, I was preparing this, this message, and I was thinking back to um, the early days with Emma when, um, I mean, I still am captivated by her beauty, but, but when I first became captivated by her beauty and, 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 and what made me just fall in love with her, as I was thinking back on those things, what's amazing is, is that in just simply remembering those things, it almost started to, to kindle this new passion, this renewed passion inside of me for her. It's like I could bring myself back to those those moments, and it would rekindle what was always there, which was the fact that I thought she was absolutely beautiful in every way, right? Be careful, Greg, when I'm talking to my wife. Don't be throwing hallelujahs out there. I'm taking notes over here on any guy that says hallelujah when I talk about my wife. Like, But listen, it started to rekindle these butterflies in my spirit that, um, that I had felt from her in, in the very beginning. In the past year, me and Emma have had the chance to go to Hawking Hills a couple times for uh, just, just little overnight trips. And we would go away. It's one of our favorite places to go because, you know, there's no cell phone service. There's just no distraction. You walk through the woods and see the beautiful scenery. And, and, and spend time together. And, and even in those times, every time we've gone, even though it's just a day, you come out of it with just a new passion and a new hunger for marriage, for, for each other. And I think that's the reason the Lord, when he sat with his disciples, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Because he's, I'm going to show you my glory. He says, I'm going to show you my glory. And then I want you to constantly come back and sit in communion with me. See, communion isn't just something that we do the first Sunday of every month. It should be something that you should be partaking in every day of your life. Maybe not sitting down and having a cracker and some juice or anything like that, but communion is sitting face to face with Jesus and reflecting on exactly who he is, all of the things that make him beautiful. And what it'll do is it'll start to kindle a heart, a passion and butterflies in your heart and a desire to pursue him, a desire to be near him. The Lord has opened up the opportunity by the Holy Spirit for us to do that, to have communion on a daily basis. Here's the best thing about the beauty of Jesus. Maybe not the best. Yeah, maybe the best thing about the beauty of Jesus, about beholding the beauty of Jesus, is that he is absolutely perfect. And, I mean, he's per what makes him beautiful is literally everything. His, he 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 loves absolutely perfectly. He's perfectly strong, and yet he's perfectly gentle. He's perfectly holy, and yet he's perfectly merciful. Everything about him is just perfect. And when you think about this, the, the one who is 
perfectly beautiful thinks that you are beautiful. That's amazing. The one who is perfectly beautiful thinks that you are beautiful. And you might sit there and say, whew, I got a receding hairline, Lord. I don't know. I don't know. But here's what we might sit here and say, I got, I got stained carpets. I got, I got dirty walls. I got uneven lines in the paint. I got, I'm, I'm far from beautiful. If you turn the lights on, you'd see that, Lord. And the Lord would say, I look at you and I don't see the, the stained carpet or the dirty walls or the uneven lines. I see the blood of my son who paid a price for you. And I look at you and I see beauty. I see beauty. It's not just that he's perfect and we come in awe of him. You know what I love about reading Song of Solomon? I used to avoid that book of the Bible because I thought that book is super weird. But it's this picture of Jesus in the church. It's this picture of Jesus and his love for the bri his bride. And what's amazing about that book of the Bible is that it's not just the, the bride hungering for her husband. It's the husband hungering for his bride. It's not just the church saying, Jesus, you're beautiful. It's Jesus looking at the church and saying, church, you're beautiful. I feel like I think of August Overflow. I feel like the Lord looks at us and says, wow, you guys are beautiful. This is beautiful. You're beautiful. He looks at you and all your dirty mess and all your dirty laundry and all the messes that you've made in your life. And he says, you're beautiful. You are, I see right past those things into the very thing that I created you to be. And you are absolutely beautiful. And Jesus' blood has washed you clean. I see the purest version of you, and you are beautiful. And that's what's amazing about the beauty of Jesus. As we behold him, we also get to understand that this one who is so beautiful thinks that we are beautiful. That's wild. That's amazing. There's literally, there's nothing greater than that. There's nothing greater than knowing the one who is so beautiful that could, that could paint the heavens and the galaxies that he looks at us and thinks that we're beautiful. He looks at you and thinks you're beautiful. That blows my mind. You know, I feel like the Lord has brought us in. And my prayer this week is that you, as you listen to this, that you would see him in new ways, that you would see his beauty in new ways. That's a work only the Holy Spirit can do. I feel like he wants us to, to come back to his feet in communion and to say, I want to see more of your beauty, Jesus. And letting sitting at his feet, letting intimacy be what sustains us through hard season. Let intimacy be what, what, what makes us more like him, what transforms us and changes us. Because what we need is not to try harder and to do better and all this other. What we need is to sit at the feet of Jesus and behold his beauty. And if, and if maybe you've never beheld his beauty before, and if you haven't, I pray that as we close out here, we'll be here. We'll, we would love to pray for you. Maybe it's for the first time you're sitting in here saying, I've never seen Jesus like this. And you need somebody that's willing to stand with you and, and pray with you. We, will, we, 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 we long to do that. We would love to. We would delight in that. I pray that as you see the Lord's beauty, that he would transform you. Let's pray. Jesus, we are amazed at, the, at your beauty, Lord. 
we're amazed at your perfect love and your gentleness and your strength and your holiness and your mercy. We couldn't possibly fathom all of who you are, Lord. But we thank you that you open our eyes to see a greater degree, Lord. We pray that in this time that you would take us from knowing to more knowing, from seeing to more seeing, and from glory to glory, Jesus. And in everything, we pray that you would be honored and glorified, that you would receive all of the praise that you're due, Lord. So, Lord, we lay ourselves aside and we sit at your feet and we, we behold you, Jesus. We thank you that by your Holy Spirit, we have the ability to do that. We love you and we honor you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, the prayer team will be up front here and we would, we would be happy to pray for you.